Chapter 9 Sex and Human Values Sensitive Handling of an Important Subject Many parents don't want to know about their children's sexual behavior and adolescents are not eager to share their intimate life with their parents especially if they think their parents would disapprove as one mother in a parenting group related when i was young i wanted to be independent of my parents moral judgment i made love without guilt or remorse but now i am a mother of a teenage daughter intellectually i can accept the idea that she'll have sex but i don't want to know about it i don't want her to consult me or share with me in fact parents can be so overwhelmed by the thought of their children as sexual beings they can be oblivious to their children's sexual behaviors a team of researchers at the university of minnesota center for adolescent health and development released a report on in september of 2000 saying that half of the mothers of sexually active teenagers mistakenly believe that their children are still virgins Dr. Robert Blum, director of the center, said that the study did not examine why so many mothers, not fathers because too few of them responded, were unaware of their children's sexual activity. Communication between parents and children is effective, especially among teenagers, only within the context of a trusting and caring relationship. Only when young people feel that they can easily approach their parents, who will listen to their point of view won't yell criticize or dismiss what they have to say will they discuss their concern about sex says 13 year old selma i can't ask my mother anything about sex if i do she starts wondering why i ask the questions what do you want to know for she asks 12 year old juliet reports my mother believes that ignorance assures innocence she gets mad when i ask her anything about sex She usually answers, "You'll learn all you need to know when you get older." There are parents mostly of teenage boys who are comfortable with and even encourage their sons' sexual relationships. In contrast, there are others who would prefer not to be informed of their children's sexual experiences because they don't know how to respond without either making their youngster feel guilty or sanctioning premarital sex. The following incident illustrates how Charles' father, despite initial shock, avoided this dilemma. Charles, aged 17, came home after completing his junior year at a boarding school. Charles, I have the greatest girlfriend. Father, hmm. Charles, I really like her. I'm going to see her tomorrow. Father, you have a date. Charles, I met her last week in school. She dated Larry first, but I could see she liked me. I went to bed with her before I actually liked her, but now I know I know her and I like her a lot. Father, stunned by the outpouring of more information than he cared to hear, "Oh Charles, you met a girl you really like. How exciting." Charles, "We were together all last week and now I really like her a lot. I can hardly wait to see her again." Father, it sounds like your last week in school was a really happy one. I bet you have had many new experiences this year. Charles, yes, you didn't believe how much I've learned in my music courses. I sure don't feel the same like the same person. I guess going away to school matured me. Instead of preaching and moralizing, which may have made his son feel guilty or reluctant to confide in his father in the future, Charles' father concentrated on his son's delight 
in a newfound love and in the process helped him see himself as a maturing person but some parents especially religious ones for whom premarital sex is a sin thinking that making their children feel guilty for even innocent sexual interests is an effective way of teaching values 13 year old samantha who knew how her mother felt about anything sexual sought permission to have a junior high school graduation party that her friends would enjoy samantha can i have a graduation party mother if you wish samantha do you know what some kids do at parties they play kissing games mother oh samantha you know it might happen at my party is it okay i don't know if we will if it's up to me we won't but we might do you approve mother i'll have to think about it samantha do you know that the bible approves of sex mother for whom samantha for husband and wives mother of course for married people samantha what about the party do you approve mother what do you think samantha i think you'll say no is that right mother yes that's right samantha tell me why i just want to know the reason mother well i think boys and girls your age are too young kissing and loving or not for married adults samantha groaning i knew you'd say something like that what an opportunity samantha's mother missed to make her daughter feel comfortable with her budding sexual interest she could have said to her inquisitive daughter i can see that you are interested in understanding romantic relationships but i don't think this game is appropriate for someone your age let's think of something else you and your friends might enjoy instead she added more guilt to an already guilt-ridden girl parents own sensuality sex education starts with the parents attitudes towards their own sexuality do they like the sights and smells and feel of their bodies or do they think that there is something unpleasant about them do they delight in each other's naked presence or do they close their eyes and clothe their bodies in shame do they have any special aversions to their own or the partner's sex or do they appreciate it do they see each other as inconsiderate and exploitive or as exciting initiators of shared pleasures whatever the parents unspoken feelings are they will be conveyed to the children even if their spoken words try to hide them this is the reason why it is so difficult to tell parents precisely what to reply to a child's questions about sex their own bewilderment in this area must first be acknowledged and their worries and embarrassment modified beginning of sexual feelings from birth on infants are equipped to feel body pleasures and from birth on sex attitudes are in the process of forming as soon as they are physically able they explore their bodies they handle their limbs and delight in being touched tickled and cuddled this early touching and stroking are part of their sex education through them they learn to receive love There was a time when mothers were warned against cuddling and playing with their babies lest they be spoiled. Even then, this maxim did not make sense to parents because their own need and desire to hug, cuddle and embrace their baby was much stronger than any rule. Now we know that a baby needs a great deal of tender touching and of cuddly care 
and that both parents need to fulfill that need. It creates a mutual happy experience and a special bond between baby and parent. Mothers who breastfeed their infants have the added pleasure of a mutually satisfying experience. When children discover that the mouth grants extra pleasure, anything they can move goes there. A thumb, a blanket, a toy. The sucking, chewing and biting bring pleasant sensations even when applied to inedible objects. These mouth pleasures should not be stopped, only regulated. We must see to it that what goes into the mouth is hygienic. Some infants get all their oral pleasures in eating. Others need supplemental sucking, which should be granted unstintingly. During the first year or so, the mouth is the main mirror by which the world is reflected to the child. Let it be a pleasant reflection. Sex and Toilet Training During the second year of life, children become more focused on the pleasures of evacuation. For them, there is nothing disgusting in the sight of smell, sight, smell and touch of feces. While parents guide them into civilized elimination habits, special care must be taken not to infect them with disgust towards their body and its products. Harsh and hasty measures may make the children feel that their body and all of its functions are something to dread rather than to enjoy. Impatient training is self-defeating. The average child may be ready for daytime control between two and a half and three years of age. Nighttime control may come between the third and fourth birthdays. Accidents, of course, are expected and need to be acknowledged. Oh, you didn't quite make it to the bathroom this time. You were too busy building a tower. Let me help you get cleaned up. Lack of training is also self-defeating. When children are left completely to their own devices, they may continue wetting and soiling for a long time. It may be pleasurable to some children, but meantime they miss the satisfactions that come with real accomplishments. When the child is ready, he or she should be told clearly and kindly what is expected. Now that you're not a baby anymore but a big boy, mommy and daddy want you to let us know when you need to go and we will put you on the potty. Answering questions Sex education has two parts, information and values. Information can be given in school, church or at home, but values are best learned at home. Children learn about sexual and loving relationships by observing their parents interact with each other. Seeing their parents kissing, hugging or making sexual overtures answers many of their questions about sex and love. It also encourages them to be open with their own affectionate and loving feelings. In sex education, parents must forego the temptation to give too much too soon. While there is no reason why children's sex questions cannot be answered frankly, the answers need not be a course in obstetrics. They can be brief, phrased in a sentence or two, not in long paragraphs or chapters. The right age to inform a child about sexual matters is when the child asks questions. When a two or three year old boy points to his genitals and wonders, what is it? It's the right moment to tell him, it's your penis. Although children may refer to the penis as a PP or weenie, the adult should call it by its rightful name. When a child wonders where a baby comes from, we shall not tell her that it comes from the hospital or the stork. We tell her, 
it grows inside a special place in a mother's body. Depending on further questions, it may or may not be necessary at this time to identify the place as the uterus. In general, from early childhood on, children should learn the names and functions of their organs and the anatomical differences between the sexes. The explanations should not involve plants and animals. Two questions puzzle almost all preschool children. How is a baby conceived and how does it get born? It is advisable to hear the child's version before giving our own. Her answers usually involve food and elimination. One bright child explained, Good babies start from good food. They grow in mommy's stomach and pop out from her belly button. Bad babies start from bad food. They come out from the BM place. Our explanation should be factual, but it does not need to give a full account of sexual intercourse. When a father and a mother want to have a baby, a fluid called semen with many tiny sperm cells from the father's body joins an egg cell in the mother's body. The joining of the two cells starts the baby growing. When the baby is big enough, it comes out through the mother's vagina. Sometimes a child demands to be shown the place he came from. It is best not to allow such invasion of privacy. Instead, we can draw a human figure, use a doll for demonstration, or make use of a book with illustrations. Our answers may satisfy the child for a short while only. He may come back with the same or with additional questions. The child's next question may be the one parents dread. How does the father's sperm cell get into the mother's egg cell? Again, we shall first ask the children for his version of the event. We shall probably hear theories of seed planting. Daddy plants a seed into mommy. Of seed eating. Daddy tells mommy to swallow a fruit pit. Of pollination. The wind makes the seeds fly into the mother. Of operation. The doctor plants a seed in the mother through surgery. The child's question can then be answered briefly. The semen comes out from the father's penis. It fits into the mother's vagina. This may be a good time to emphasize that semen is different from urine. Urine is a body waste. Semen is a fluid that carries sperm cells. The next question that may pop up is, when do you and daddy make babies? This is not as snoopy a question as it sounds, and a simple answer will suffice. Mothers and fathers choose a time when they are comfortable and alone. They love each other and want to have a baby to love. It may also be necessary to add that the getting together or mating is a personal and private event. Some boys wish that fathers too were able to have babies. They ask, why doesn't a mother egg go into the father? The explanation is offered that a woman's body has a place, the uterus, in which a baby can grow. A man's body does not. It is not unusual for a child to ask, why? A simple answer, because men's and women's bodies are built differently. It is desirable to assure the boys that babies also need a father to love them and protect them. At the end of the day, parents have to remember that although talking about sex with their children can, more often than not, be very awkward, keeping a sense of humor will help them get through even the most tense situations. One mother recounted this amusing story. My two-and-a-half-year-old son Paul asked me whether I had a penis. 
When I said no, he asked what I had there instead. I answered, Mommy's have a special place. Paul asked, what is it called? I told him the word, thinking he was too young to understand all this. One day, several weeks later, I was pushing Paul in his stroller into a crowded elevator in our building. A loud-voiced older woman began to interrogate him. What's your name? Are you having a nice holiday? Can you say hi? Silence. I leaned over and whispered in Paul's ear. Say hi. Hi, he screamed at the top of his lungs. The woman shrieked. Oh, at least he can say hi. Paul fixed her with a stare and said clearly, I can say vagina too. The elevator rocked with laughter and I could barely keep my composure. When we got inside our apartment, he said, that's the biggest word I know. The Naked Body In childhood, the sight of naked mom or dad may stimulate sexual excitement in children. Does it mean that we must go back to Victorian prudery? Not at all, but it does mean that we need privacy, not only for our own peace, but also for the sake of the children's development. We may tolerate children's occasional intrusions and stares when we are showering and dressing, but we should not encourage such behavior. We should especially be careful not to lead children to believe that we want them to explore us. We recognize that children are curious about the human body. They have had a chance to observe the differences between little boys and girls and they have also had occasional glimpses at us and they would like to see more of us. It is best to recognize openly their curiosity but insist on reasonable privacy. You may want to see how I look but when I take a bath I like to be alone. We can look at some pictures that will answer your questions. This approach does not attack or block the child's curiosity. It only diverts it into more socially acceptable channels. Curiosity can be expressed by words rather than by looking and touching. Masturbation Childhood masturbation is pleasurable and may bring comfort to children, but it causes conflicts to many parents. Children may find in it self-love when lonely, self-employment when bored, and self-consolation when rejected. To parents, it brings vague anxiety and concern. Most parents have heard, read, and even experienced masturbation as harmless. They know that it does not cause insanity, sterility, impotence, or any of a dozen other plagues. But when they come across their children playing with their sex organs, they get upset and try to stop them. Intellectually, parents recognize that Masturbation may be a phase in the development of normal sexuality or it may continue into adulthood. Still, it is hard for some parents to accept that their child is masturbating. However, masturbation is a natural part of a child's sexual experimentation. Parents who have problems with their child engaging in this activity in public places, at the dinner table or in the car, should remind the child that those pleasurable activities should be kept private. It is important not to overreact or shame the child. Only a small direct comment is needed. That kind of touching feels nice, but it's a private act for your room. Forbidden Games Infants like to investigate their bodies, and children 
to explore each other. Many of us remember as small children saying to a friend of the opposite sex, making sure our parents couldn't see us, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. This thirst for knowledge is not easily quenched. The difference in anatomy baffles children who need to find out that being different does not mean there is anything wrong with them. Even when the facts are explained and the feelings understood, children may go on with mutual exploration. They invent games such as playing doctor or house. They may also negotiate and arrange peeping games. Even sexually enlightened parents find it difficult to cope unemotionally with such situations. They may refrain from spanking or shaming the child, but they are not sure how to set a positive limit on such activities. In our day and age, some parents even wonder if they should interfere in such intimate affairs for fear of harming their offspring's future sex life. When a two- or three-year-old girl watches how a little boy urinates, it is considered par for the course in anatomy. In nursery school, where children share the same toilets, curiosity can be satisfied by direct observation. However, by the first grade, a child is presumed to have seen enough. When a parent finds a boy and a girl with pants down and dress up, she should not ask them, what are you doing? It may be too embarrassing if the child replies with the whole truth. The children should not be shamed or berated with comments such as, what is the matter with you? You should be ashamed of yourselves. Jimmy, I want you to go home right now. And with you, Melissa, I will deal later. On the other hand, they should not be provided with an easy excuse or a false alibi, such as, don't you think it is too cold to walk around naked? The children should be told, Jimmy, Melissa, both of you need to get dressed now and find something else to play with. Our calm, unalarming attitude makes it possible to limit sexual experimentation without harming the child's interest in sex and love. Dirty Words No parent really wants their children to be naive about dirty words used by their peers. These words are so vigorous, expressive and forbidden that they make the children feel big and important. When children use a string of dirty words in a secret council, they feel as though they have just composed their declaration of independence. Four-letter words have a place that must be delineated and defined for the child. Parents should express their feelings on the subject frankly. The mother can say, I don't like them at all. But I know children and even some adults use them. I prefer not to hear them. Spare them for your friends. Again, we recognize and respect the children's wishes and feelings, but set limits and redirect their actions. Homosexuality Some parents get upset as they watch their pre-adolescent children form close, even passionate relationships with friends of the same sex. They are worried about their child's sexual orientation, mostly because they are concerned about the challenges their child may face when they openly acknowledge their homosexuality. In pre-adolescence, boys flock together and girls team up in intimate friendships. Much of the time they talk about sex. They compare notes and tell and retell what each has discovered. This same-sex friendship is a necessary prelude to the development of heterosexual love. There are children who experiment with friends of the same sex, but we now know that unless they are so inclined, 
they will choose heterosexual mates. The researchers E. O. Lawman, J. H. Gagnon, R. T. Michael, and S. Michaels of the Kinsley Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University reported in 1994 that even though many people admitted having had some homosexual experiences, only about 4% of men and 2% of women consider themselves homosexual. Confusion about sexual orientation is not unusual during adolescence. Lucky are the children whose parents are open and accepting, thus allowing them to share their concerns about their sexual feelings. What can experts tell parents? Years ago, homosexual adolescents were sent for psychological treatment, but even Freud was not optimistic about changing a person's sexual orientation. Today we know that, to a large extent, homosexuality is biologically influenced, and thus there is more acceptance and less of an attempt to change a person's sexual orientation. When talking to their children about homosexuality, parents should not pass judgment or make moral implications. Also, don't avoid discussing what exactly goes on when a man loves a man, not a woman. Be honest and give your children the best information you have on the subject. Your kids will thank you for trusting them with the truth instead of running for the hills when they ask, why does Rebecca have two mommies? Sex Education In life, literature, television and in the movies, sexual taboos have been tumbling. The temper of our time is candor and freedom. Sex is no longer a forbidden subject. It is taught in school and discussed at home. Even in church, morality is re-evaluated in light of reality. And in reality, sex has always been a popular subject. Teenagers are eager to learn all they can about sex. They are bothered and perplexed and what realistic, want realistic and personal answers. When offered an opportunity to discuss sex seriously, teenagers talk freely and sensibly. They look for standards and meaning. They want to come to terms with their sexuality and to integrate it into their total personality. Sharing Sexual Experiences Jason, age 15, talked to his father about sex and love. He said, I have discovered the real difference between boys and girls. Girls promise sex to get love and boys promise love to get sex. Love them and leave them is my philosophy. Father, what happens to the girl after you love her and leave her? Jason, it's not my business. I try not to think about it. Father, well, think about it. If you lure a girl into sex by promising love, her feelings become your business. Jason's father affirmed his values that honesty and responsibility pertain to all human relations. All situations, simple or complex, social or sexual, require individual integrity. 16-year-old Natalie says, My parents and I live by the grace of an unspoken code. No deep questions, no real answers. They really don't want to know what goes on, and I can't tell them. I am, so to speak, a good girl. My father always blows his horn about being frank and truthful, is 15-year-old Joshua's complaint. But his honesty stops where sex begins. This is one area where my candor is not welcome. 
Parents need to encourage their teenagers to be honest with their feelings about sex, not to say yes when they want to say no, to listen to their needs, to respect their comfort, not to be too eager or please or part to be or to be a part of a clique. Not too eager, not to be too eager to please or to be part of a clique. Not to have sex just to feel more grown up than they are and not to confuse a sexual relationship with a loving one. Many parents are confused about their role in their adolescent sexual life. Sally's mother consulted a psychologist when her 17-year-old daughter asked her to get her a supply of birth control pills. I know my daughter. She's going to fall in love and want to make love. With pills, she will at least be safe, but I'm uncomfortable making it easy for her to have sex. Teenagers who ask their parents for contraceptive pills indicate by their very request that they are not ready for adulthood, replied the psychologist. By providing their adolescents with these pills, their parents deny them a vital experience to make decisions and accept the consequences. An adult does not shift responsibility to her parents, she shoulders her own responsibility. When Sally's mother came home, she informed her daughter, "Honey, if you think you're ready to have sex, then you're also ready to consult with your doctor about contraceptive pills. If I get you the pills, then I am and you are not involved in and assuming responsibility for your behavior." Mature love. Only love justifies sex, said 16-year-old Betty. So I'm always in love. This cynical approach has a social history. Betty probably feels guilty and the only way she can justify her sexual behavior is to fall in love. Love, real or imagined, expiates her guilt, but love is not just feeling and passion. Love is a system of attitudes and a series of acts that enhance life for both the lover and the beloved. Romantic love is often blind. It acknowledges the strength but does not see the weakness in the beloved. In contrast, mature love accepts the strength without rejecting the weakness. In mature love, neither boy nor girl try to exploit or possess the other. Each belongs himself and herself. Such love gives freedom to unfold and to become one's best self. Love and sex are not the same, but the lucky people are able to combine them.